Good morning. If you enjoyed us hearing the truth of God proclaimed through song this morning, isn't it encouraging to uh, to get to participate and get to hear uh, what the Lord put on the heart of the choir today? Well, how many of you all were a part of the sportsman's banquet yesterday? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, come on. More of you than that were a part of it. Yeah, there you go, Larry. I see. We had a great time, didn't we? Four, over 400 people came to, uh, to have a meal and to hear Ricky Horton speak, and uh, he did a, an outstanding job. I was so encouraged by him. And in fact, I've even seen some people that, that came in just for the weekend to be a part of it, and I and, uh, sure appreciate those who, who make it all possible. You put a, a lot of time and energy and creativity in, in having an event like that. And uh, to do so in, in a manner that, that, would, uh, that would invite people to come in that, that might not typically come into a church and to hear a message. And so I was so grateful uh, to see that, uh, that it all came together to see uh, and to hear Ricky. Uh, He made this statement that he lives on the intersection of saved by grace. Do you remember what he said? And uh, love for sports, right? Right there on that intersection. He invited people to join him on the saved by grace part. He assumed that everyone else that was there had a love for sports already. But uh, very engaging, very thought-provoking. And uh, again, just uh, just a wonderful outreach opportunity. As I looked around the room, uh, I tried to, 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 to guess how many were not part of our church on a given week. And uh, I think it'd be fair to say that probably more than half that, does that sound right to those who are there? It's just amazing how many people will come out. And uh, seeds were sown yesterday. And so, again, just uh, want to express my appreciation to those who helped make it all possible. Well, this morning we're going to talk about vision. Vision for us as a, as a church family. Vision as we, as we uh, begin a new season of ministry together. Uh, vision as, uh, as God has placed upon our, upon our hearts and within our church family uh, to, uh, to achieve what He has for us in, uh, in this year, but also in the years to come. We want to be able to look long-term and short-term. One person said that, uh, that vision can be defined as a compelling image of an achievable future. So it's the, the idea of trying to look out and see what is still to come. And we, we do that with the eyes of faith. We do that knowing that, that the Lord is the, the head of the church, that He is the one that brings things about. But, but we also look forward knowing that, that He's called us to, to be people of vision. That uh, just as we were created in His image and He's a visionary God and a creator God, that He expects us to look out and, and to see what, what we can join Him in in creating here in this, uh, in this world and in our church family. It asks the question, what are we seeking to accomplish? And so as we think about vision, I know that, that there are probably visionaries, uh, people with great vision that, that, uh, that might come to your mind. If I were to ask you some of, some of the visionaries of today, uh, you would probably think of, of names like, uh, Mark, uh, Zuckerberg. Have you, have, uh, any of you been a, uh, a, a part of the social media network Facebook? Anybody out there? Oh, come on. You guys are having a hard time today, either being honest or getting your hand to move. I don't know what it is. Probably just about everyone in here has been a part of that. Anybody ever ordered anything on Amazon before? 
All right, there you go. So thank you, thank you. Jeff Bezos, I think, is, uh, is the, uh, the guy that started Amazon. And, uh, these are people that see and they, 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 they're able to, to recognize that there's, that there's, uh, that there's a, a new, a new direction, a new reality that can be, can be created. In fact, um, you've probably heard of the man Walt Disney. And, uh, of course, he, he really revolutionized the entertainment industry, particularly for children and families. Uh, but also with the theme park Disney World. And, and, uh, I was reading that he was not a Alive when Disney World opened, and that someone on that day uh, said, "Isn't it too bad that Walt Disney didn't live to see this?" And the creative director of Disney Studios at the time said, "He did see it. That's why it's here." And so that's the idea of vision. Now, one person's name that probably doesn't come to mind, and I think I've <clears throat> shared with uh, some of you all about about this guy is a, a man named Larry Walters. Uh, Larry was a guy that that uh, had a vision to fly. He wanted to be a pilot, and uh, he tried, and his eyesight wasn't good enough. He was, he was not able to be a pilot, so for, uh, for his whole life he wanted to do it. And finally he decided that, that he was going to come up with a plan. And so uh, Larry, uh, living in uh, California at the time, went over to the Army-Navy surplus store and bought 45 weather balloons. You ever seen these big weather balloons? And uh, he decided that he would fill them with helium. And if you look at the chair that he's seated in, this is back in 1982, newspaper clipping. He's seated in a, in a, uh, in a lawn chair, and he has uh, strapped his lawn chair to the front bumper of his Jeep. And he has inflated 45 of these big weather balloons. Now, don't think balloon. Think big balloon. And uh, so he's, he's tying them off. They're, 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 they're going up into the air. Uh, he's, he, uh, he's, he's at this point still tied to the Jeep. And he's got uh, some sandwiches. He has a six-pack of, of some beverage. And he also has, uh, he also has a uh, pellet gun with him. Because his idea is that he's going to float around the neighborhood. He's going to look down at his neighbors who are grilling on the Saturday afternoon. And then when he's ready to get down, he's going to shoot the weather balloon. And he's going to then gradually come back down to earth. Now, I see some children in here this morning. Don't try this at home, okay? Because what he thought he was going to do didn't exactly happen. When he cut the rope, he didn't just go 30 feet in the air or 60 feet in the air. He didn't level off until he was at 11,000 feet in the air. Hanging on for dear life in this, uh, in this lawn chair. True story. And uh, he happens to find himself in the corridor of LAX. And uh, the LAX uh, air traffic uh, control got a report from a then Pan Am pilot saying, um, we'd like to make a report that there's a man who is, who is uh, floating by balloons in a, in a chair and, and holding a gun. <laughs> and uh, the people, it's an unbelievable story, right? And, uh, and so true story, he begins to, to, to continue to, to float. And he's going out over, over the Pacific Ocean at this point. They send a rescue helicopters in. They're, they're able to, to, to get close enough to him where they can drop a, a rope down and pull him back in. And they get him to safety. And at this point, the whole Los Angeles media is following what's going on. And, and so as he's... Uh, He's actually being led away in handcuffs. We, I don't have that, that picture because he did violate four uh, FAA regulations. They, they fined him $4,000 as well. Um, but, uh, but one of the reporters that was nearby asked him and said, uh, you know, Larry, why did you do it? And he responded in a very nonchalant voice, a man can't just sit around. <laughs> 
So what is it about us people? We want to, we want to live life. We want our lives to make a difference. We want to, we want to be involved in creating things. And so as you think about visionaries this morning, think about the vision for us, that we can be visionaries today, an opportunity to see a future that, that doesn't yet exist. But in God's eye, in His mind, He is preparing and directing our steps to be a part of a community and to have a church that will, that will be promoting His vision and His mission uh, as we join this vision together. I want us to start uh, not with the narrow focus on 2017, but I want us to start with the big focus, the big wide-angle perspective by considering the vision of God. As I said a few minutes ago, God himself is a visionary. You look at the world that he created. You see the, 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 the innovation that he had, the creativity that he had to, uh, to make a world as he did. He further described himself through the word of God, the special revelation where we can see uh, his character and his nature at even, even deeper levels. And throughout this Word of God, the Bible, there is a grand narrative, a grand theme throughout all of Scripture. And that's where we must begin. This is the big picture. And so uh, even more important than thinking about the vision for our specific church is for us to understand this, the big narrative, narrative, the big story of God's Word. In fact, this is the gospel message. When someone asks you, what is the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? You can think of these four words. This is a picture of what God has done. God, of course, was the creator. He created this world. You can think even back in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, that the world was at peace, that the world was, was in harmony with God. As Adam and Eve were in harmony with one another, they were harmony with their creator, the, the, the entire earth, and, and all that was taking place was in... Uh, was in shalom, as uh, you might think of the Hebrew word for peace. But then something happened. Adam and Eve decided that, that uh, rather than simply living in the joy and in the presence of their maker, that they would reject his rule over them. And so they, they, uh, they as representing all of humanity, uh, rebelled against God. They sinned. They, they did what he said not to do. In fact, uh, you can see the, the thunderclouds that, uh, that, that come in. You can see that the, the sin has entered the world, entered into the hearts of, of, uh, of Adam and Eve. Uh, in fact, that's still what we see today. In fact, the next picture is a very similar one. It's just the, the difference is it has a, a, uh, uh, a golden calf. It has the picture of an idol because even today... We ourselves have the opportunity to follow after God, but, but what do we do? We find the idols of our hearts, the idols of this world. We, we rebel the rule of God over us, and we say, no, we'll do it our way. We'll do what we'd like to do. And so this rebellion still continues, and that's, the, that's, that's what created brokenness between the relationship that God had with His people at that time, and even creates a separation today. Because the Bible tells us that, that, that with sin, with rebellion, there is a price. And it says specifically that the wages of sin is death, a spiritual death, a, a separation from a holy God. And so, so the gospel picture, the big story narrative shows a creation, a fall. But then what's next? We see redemption. We see that, that God sent his son to live on our behalf a righteous and holy life in order to bring us back in right relationship with God. He paid the penalty on the cross. 
He went to Calvary and he died in our place. Again, wages of sin is death. He died. He took our penalty, our punishment, so that we could be reconciled and redeemed. Or you might like the word rescued, as God uh, rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, of course, it all climaxes with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. Because we can continue to, to, to look forward in Scripture. Just as we can look back and read at the beginning in Genesis, we can look at the end and read in Revelation that there's a, that there's a whole other, uh, uh, whole other uh, future that's awaiting us. A new heaven, a new earth. We see the throne of God. We, we see pictures of people worshiping the Lamb of God in a new heaven and a new earth. This would be the restoration of His creation. And it's going to happen in, in two ways. One, Christ will return. He will judge sin and evil once for all, and it will be done away with. And then there'll be this new heaven, this new earth, this new season of righteousness and peace. And so that's the restoration of God's creation. So that's the big narrative that's the big picture. And you can think of those four words. And in fact, we see this kind of from a cosmic perspective on how it's happened to the, the whole world. But can we also see it from a personal perspective? Can you see your life in those, in those four pictures there? Can you see where you were and can you see the, 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 the sin? Can you see the time in which you were redeemed and rescued from your sin? Can you look at that fourth picture and see the hope that you have? Uh, for for what is to come, this is this is the personal application of the gospel message. And so I would just pause for a minute and say that if you're here today and you've not yet ex expressed a desire for God to be in your life, if you've not if you've not invited Jesus to be your Savior, this is the this is God's grand gospel, His good news that is for you, and it begins by by receiving and trusting. And having Him uh, be the Lord of your life. And so I would encourage you to join God this morning through His Son. To be a part of this big story. Because if not, you're missing out. You're missing out on what He wants to provide in a, in a new life and in transformation. Well, we see that the mission of God that, 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 that flows out of this is that He is a God that creates. He's a God that rescues. He's a God that redeems. He's a God that restores. So we ask ourselves, how does our vision fit with the grand vision of God? If, if God is a redeemer, if He's one that, that brings people back to God, what is our role in that? Because if we have a vision that doesn't flow out of that vision, we've got the wrong vision, right? We need to have something that flows out of God's vision. And so, so we, we need to check what we're doing and who we are against His great vision. Let me, let me give you what I believe is one of the clearest passages for a church in thinking about our mission. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I know we could look at the Great Commission. We could look at the Great Commandment. There's other passages that, that would complement this. But in thinking about God's mission to redeem... I think this one in 2 Corinthians 5 shows our role in helping this ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what does it say? New creation. Now, is that not a good word? Aren't you glad that you can be made new in him? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, 
through Christ did what? Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's, it's the bringing back together. The broken pieces coming back. The broken relationship being restored, reconciled. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And do you see how that that admonition, that that uh, that statement of, of of reconciliation falls under the grand theme? That's the big narrative of Scripture throughout. Wherever you're reading throughout the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see that God is redeeming, that God is restoring, that God is making life new by forgiving. And after forgiving, by, 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 by then uh, uh, transforming and making a life brand new. And some of you, many of you that are here, could testify to God's transforming work in your life, how He has made you new, and how He is preparing you to be a worshiper for eternity in heaven. So we see this passage, and we see that if we are ambassadors of reconciliation, that that's, that's, that's our mission that we are to come and that we are to, that we are to, to urge and implore people to be reconciled to God. That we are to gather together. That we're to serve. That we're to teach. That we're to preach. That we're to see God glorified through His message, His gospel of reconciliation. So, if we are ambassadors who have been changed, uh, we have, we have a story that we can tell. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when, when Brian Hausman was here? And he said that that each of us have a story. He was speaking about spiritual legacy. And he was saying, share your story. Share your testimony. Share what God has done for you. That's what this is speaking of. To be able to to be a, a, a minister of reconciliation is showing and sharing what God has done in your life personally. And then collectively, it becomes the mission of our church. That we have a mission of reconciliation. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about our story. Think about our story as a church family. Think about it over the the many, many years, but also in the recent months. And think about what God is doing among us. Can anyone see a picture of the gospel at work in our story? Isn't there a picture of things being brought back together again? Two churches being brought back into one. It's a, it's a story that we can share that points to what? Points to the grand theme of Scripture. It points back to, to, the, to the grand narrative, the big story itself. And so today, I want us to take that big story and think about the, the grand theme of, of Scripture, thinking particularly about the restoration that God has done and is continuing to do in this world. And I want us to, to narrow that story in to us specifically. 
And yes, again, we could, we could say that our, that our mission statement is found in 2 Corinthians 5 as, as, as ambassadors, as uh, ministers of reconciliation. We could say that our, that our, that our vision is found in, in the Great Commission, to go therefore and make disciples. And all of those, those, those verses apply to God's people today. They, they, those verses apply to the local church. But think for a minute, how do we see a vision that is unique to us? As First Baptist Church Ellisville, merging with West County Community Church in West St. Louis County, Missouri. What does that look like here? When I lived in Athens, Greece, we had a vision. We had a mission. We had many of those same scriptures that I just recounted were on our mind. But the context was a little different there. And so, so our vision looked different. And so today we have to look at where we are. What are our current conditions? And where is it that God is taking us? And so I want to put before you today not a simple vision statement, although some pieces of it can be pulled out that make it rather rather simple and easy to remember. But, in, but instead, I want to put a picture in front of you. And so let's, let's put on the screen just a very simple picture. And what I want to share with you is a vision narrative, a story. If we looked at God's vision in, in four movements... Four, four parts of, of his story for, the, for the, uh, uh, the grand theme of Scripture. What is our story? And as you look at, at this picture, you're going to see, as in any picture, that there's different, different aspects that you can, that you can focus upon. You can, look at, you can look at the background. And in the background of the picture, you see what? You see mountains, right? And in the, uh, in the, in the foreground, up close, you see, you see what? You see a, see a signpost, right? And then in the, in the mid-ground, you, you see a road. And so you see the perspectives that are there. In fact, if you want to get very detailed, you can even say you can look beyond the, the, uh, the mountains and you can see the horizon. And so for us, a vision narrative tries to look at the big picture. We want to look at the long term, what's way out there. But we also want to look at the what's right up close, what's right in front of us. What's the sign say? And and as a church family that that uh, that is that is that is merging together. In fact, I wish I had a picture that would have first described and shown two roads coming into one. Wouldn't that have been even more descriptive of where we're at? But we're there on one path together as one church. And we've got some things right up in front of us that need to be done. Some of them are very obvious, right? We need to uh, we need to have a name, right? And so today we are asking for you to prayerfully consider and make suggestions for a new name. And uh, you'll see, uh, I believe, even in the bulletin, certainly in the e-newsletter, there's a link. Uh, you can even take one of the, the connection cards if you want to and just write out some suggestions. But do so prayerfully. In fact, take time in the month of February, the first two weeks, as we, as we take name recommendations to do so prayerfully. And I would encourage you, think about our story. Think about our vision. And then together, let's prayerfully consider a name. We're also going to need some documents, aren't we? Churches are required to have governing documents, bylaws, and we're going to need a budget, all these kinds of things that need to be determined as we move forward together. Those are a given. Those are a given. And there's, there's work happening. We need to integrate ministries, right? We have ministries here. There's ministries in Wildwood. We need to integrate these ministries. We need to look at how to utilize the facility. All of those things are already happening in different pockets, different, different people are working on that. But what is the, the big picture for us? 
What do we see way out in the distance that God may be wanting from us? I want us to think, first of all, about, um, uh, about what is up close, the foreground. And I want to share a paragraph, a very short, just a couple of sentences, uh, of, of, of what is up close. And you will remember... In the month of December, we had a, a, a draft vision statement. I want to share part of that with you. you, you if, if you have the big 10-page document that we handed out in December, it's all there. Uh, you can read it. But let me just share with you. And I think you'll see that this narrative actually impacts each area of the vision, each part of the story. And so let's begin up close at the foreground. Here it is. We have, you and I, an unprecedented opportunity to see fellowship renewed. Transformation can take place with two congregations that both have a common history being reunited once again as one church to glorify God. By doing what? Sharing and living His gospel among the people of West County. By intentionally pursuing and restoring unity through the gospel. The healing of our past can be a living testimony to the restorative power of God. That's what we are experiencing. And there's people in our community that are talking about it. They're struck by it. I don't know how many conversations I've had or that my wife has had at her, at her job where people are asking her about it and talking through what's going on there. And they're, 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 they're interested. They're intrigued. And it's God doing a work among us that is showing that fellowship can be restored. Again, think about that picture of God's narrative. Well, that's right in front of us. We'll talk about some specific things in just a minute on how to make this happen. But let's now look back a little further into the, into the midground of that frame. We envision a reality where every member is engaged. Every member is committed. Every member is passionate about what is happening in their church because of their passion that they have for the Lord. This is seen in the, in the, in the spiritual transformation that happens when we do these things, when we gather together for worship, when we are committed to a small group in relationship, in community with others, and when we are serving when we're serving one another and when we're serving the community. In doing so, we'll comfort the hurting. We'll feed the hungry. We're going to meet the real needs of those around us. And as a church family, we're going to celebrate. We'll celebrate new life, whether it be birth or births or marriages, adoptions. When lives are transformed by the grace of God, we will celebrate. And we will pray that when people encounter someone from our church, that they will encounter the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. Now, does that have specific application? Are there specific ministries that need to happen for that? You bet. We'll talk about those in just a minute. But now let's look to the background. Look back at the, at the, at the mountains. Think three to five years. We dream that the lines between our church and the community get blurry. Not from a theological standpoint, right? We want to maintain distinction. We want to be salt and light. But in terms of our service, it happens outside these walls. That, it, that our love for the community, our love for the Lord, overflows beyond our gathering together. And what we'll see is that we will be an active part of the community. 
That they will, that they will see the people of our church living and working and caring for them. This means that we'll have to be a sending church. Ascending church, meaning not just sending overseas, which we want to continue to do, which we have done, but ascending church right here in our own community to view ourselves as missionaries to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our homes, to our workplaces. And of course, having that effect throughout the nation and world. Again, specific things must happen so that we can see that part of the vision achieved. And then look back at the horizon beyond the mountains and look at the sky and and we can say we envision a time in which lives are radically transformed through this type of missional engagement that I just spoke of. The community being reached, the next generation being reached with truth and grace. We can, we can see that there's a need for, for, for leaders, both young and old, to be trained so that they can be set forth to serve, thereby ensuring a spiritual legacy. That seems to be a common theme for us these days, a spiritual legacy that lasts far beyond what we can imagine. Will you join us? Will we join together on a journey like that to make his name great in our community as well as the world? Is that something that you would like to be a part of? A few of us. Okay. How about the rest of you back there? Would you like to be a part of this? I invite you, join us. Specifically, how do we do it? Well, I'd like to highlight a key word in each of those four sections or a key word in each of these four parts of the picture, if you will. Let's start looking at the back, which is what we just talked about. Let's think about legacy. How many of us want to ensure that the, that the legacy that God had intended when he first founded this church will continue on generation after generation? Anyone else want to see this continue? Anyone else believe that God has a future for us? I do. I think that what has happened has led us to this point because God does have a future. That His plans are not yet complete for this body. And so what will it take for us to have a spiritual legacy? What will it mean for there to be a breakthrough to the next generation? It will mean that we are a church, and you've heard this before, a church of disciples who are making disciples. That we are a church that is involved in intentionally planting other churches. That there's a multiplication that happens. In fact, if I could just get real specific, I am praying that God would help us plant a church or churches to help reach the international community among us. How many of you all have been to the Walmart on Manchester Road and felt like you had the world around you. Have you noticed that? It's incredible. There are people groups all around us. And I wonder, are there, is there a fellowship for them to gather? Could we help provide that? Could we even help provide the training of leaders to reach them? Could you see that, that there are, are ministries that we have within our church that could, that could reach out to their children? How many of them already have children involved in, in Awana or Upward Sports? But even to see that, that the youth group, student ministries, all these things could be reaching these families. Folks, there is, there is a potential in that part of our community. 
It's there. It's just a matter of whether we're going to go out and harvest it. Does that make sense? It's there. How many of you went to, to, uh, to uh, Bluebird Park on July 4th? Anybody, anybody go up to Bluebird Park on July 4th? A few of us were probably up there. Maybe I saw you. Our family went up there. And, and uh, I was amazed at the diversity that was there that night, that, that afternoon. I think that we have an opportunity, folks. That's just one example. But for us to be able to have a legacy like that, it means that we're going to have to value training and sending. Because those things don't just happen. There have to be leaders that are equipped. There have to be members that are, that are willing to roll up their sleeves and be sent out. And so if you want to go into the, the mid-ground of the, of the picture and think about three to five years out, for us to have an impact upon the community and the world, there's going to have to be intentionality. And so I think the, the word I put up there was training and sending. There's a lot of other words that, that, you, could, that you could say there about having an intentional impact. And here's part of what I think is, 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 is needed. I think that we need to have a strategy of equipping and training that is unlike anything that we've seen before. I think there needs to be an intentionality to this where folks that come in, that come to faith in Christ, are discipled in a manner where they can be fully made ready to multiply and ex expand their faith to others. Sometimes in the church we, we come in and, 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 and we can see our spiritual growth kind of hit, hit, a, hit a plateau. And I think that we should be encouraging and stimulating one another on to, 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 uh, to, to uh, greater maturity and greater service. And so I'm thinking about things like this. What if we had classes and, 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 and taught, if someone wants to teach the Bible, here's how you teach the Bible. Here's a class that you can take. If someone's wanting to, to, uh, uh, to, to be in, in, in leadership within the church or within one of the ministries that we have, we have a course on spiritual leadership. Those courses exist. It's just a matter of, of having something where in a, in a pattern, in a, in a system, there's opportunities. It's almost like an institute. You could kind of think of it as like a, an Ephesians 4 institute where there's, there's different courses that help equip and take us from one level to the next, realizing that we have to offer a lot of them because within the church, people are at different levels. Some of them are at a point where they're needing to understand their spiritual gifts. And then from there, how to put them into, into action. And so, so I, I think about Ephesians 4. It says that part of our role of, of the church and as church leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so, so to see us being able to go out and, and, and fully utilize some of these opportunities. I, I, I look at the, at the White House next door and we, we want to develop a, a ministry out of that White House. That's one, area, one, one, one building that we want to maintain here as a, as a community center. Something very creative. Uh, some creative and innovative approaches to reach out. And so, again, it's going to take people that are equipped and trained and, 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 uh, and led by the Lord to be able to make that happen. To have vision and, uh, and to be able to see it through. Let's look a little closer in on the picture. Something up, up right in front of us. I would, I would use the word commitment. Now, you might like the word engaged, or you might like the word passionate. You can fill in the word that means that someone is all in. 
That, that they are all in. They are committed to Christ. They're committed to His church. And they're committed to one another. I told you last week, you are needed now more than ever. If we are going to be a multi-generational church that has an impact upon this community, the people in our early service right here, right now, are needed now more than ever. We need your experience We need your commitment. We need what you can model, what you can exemplify to those who come in behind you. They get that picture in you. Folks, not every church has that opportunity. Many, many churches today, when people gather together, do you know what they see when they look around the room? People that are just about the same age that they are. That is not the case here. We have a wide spectrum Wide spectrum. There are 38 people on our membership roll in their 90s. And I'm looking around seeing several of them here this morning. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? Think Think about what they have to give and to offer. Think about how... They, they know how to, to, to pray and to, to bring the needs of the church before the Lord. Not every church has that, 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 that blessing to be able to look and see and to learn from those who have, have walked with the Lord for so long. So we need a new era of commitment. And I'm going to give you three ways that every member, every member can be committed. So this is part of our strategy. We want everyone to attend a worship service. Now, I'm saying that to you as you're sitting in a worship service, so you pretty well get that one, right? You say, yes, Pastor, I I understand that when I'm here today. We want everyone to be committed to that. And we realize that to be able to do that, it might mean that we need more than an early service and a late service. Because right now, the late service is looking pretty full. And in this service, when we get into the, to the new building, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna feel fuller as well. Maybe it's time that we start looking at another option. Maybe even a, a service that's, that takes place on a Saturday night. That would be a, that would be a strategic way of saying we want to make sure that there's plenty of opportunity for people to be able to worship the Lord each weekend. Particularly as you think about the context in which we minister. Again, a picture of ministry in, a, in, in, in our location includes people that have grown up in the Catholic Church. They may be used to attending a church service on a Friday night or a Saturday night. So for us to be, to be able to recognize that that's part of the culture that we live in and that that's something that we could offer that would connect in with people of that background. So you be praying how we can specifically make sure that there is a worship service for everyone. Also a small group. We're starting new groups this week. Your group that you meet with might meet in the church building or it might meet in someone's house. It might meet at 945 and have been called for many years an ABF, which means what? Adult Bible Fellowship. Someone said Sunday school. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's funny. <laughs> that is what it is, right? Um, a lot of people don't know what ABF stands for or might not even understand that Sunday school is even for adults. So we, we need to have nomenclature that, that makes sense. But the main thing is under this big umbrella that someone is involved in a small group, meaning that you are in a group of people in community. 
There are things that happen in those smaller groups that can't happen in a group this size. And that mainly, that mainly is how we care for each other. And so if we want to see people maturing in their faith and growing to where they can help with the legacy, they're going to need to be in community where they can be discipled and mentored and encouraged and built up and cared for and using their gifts to serve. So that's why the small groups are so important. Is that a goal that's measurable? I think it is. Because I think we could look at what our weekend worship attendance is and what our small group attendance is. And say, okay, we want to continue to, to raise that number because if we want people to assimilate into the church, it's going to be important that they become part of a small group. Again, could be here on, in the campus, could be in a home, could be on Sunday morning, could be on Thursday night. A lot of options, a lot of options, but everyone in a group. One worship service, one group, and then one area of ministry. A place to serve. A place to be able to use the gift that God has given. Now, notice that, that, I, that, I, that I put up there how many areas of ministry? One area. So there's one worship service, one group, and one ministry. One primary ministry. Because if we're all serving and we're all contributing, it means that we're not asking one person to try to be an expert in seven things, right? But to really focus in and hone in on that one area that God has put upon their heart and gifted them to do. I know that as we transition in to a new season of ministry, that there are some that could, that, that could be struggling with that transition. So I want to say just a couple things because I think that, that that struggle could happen from two perspectives. On one end of the pendulum, there could be those that would say, you know, it doesn't feel like home anymore. Things are changing. Things are different. It just doesn't feel like home anymore. But then on the other end of the pendulum, uh, some people could say, it doesn't feel like home yet. And I, I hear that some from folks that have, that have come from Ellisville going into Wildwood. They say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm serving. I'm worshiping. But yet it, it's, it's not, doesn't quite feel like home yet. So on one end of the perspective or the other, what do we do in the transition time to be able to see this church transition well. And I would say that we need to build off the heritage. We need to build from the heritage of each congregation. But look for God to give us something brand new. To not just try to look through the lenses of what we've had in years gone by, but to be looking ahead at new opportunities. And that's going to require both letting go and embracing. Not letting go of everything, but letting go of some things. And maybe even the way that we do some things. And embracing new ways, new ideas. And more importantly, can I say this? Embracing new people. And that's important, not just in a merger of one congregation to the other. But if we pray that we want to have a spiritual legacy for the next generation, guess what that's going to require? That's going to require us continually embracing new people. And so we need to think of that as part of our commitment. And so I've spent a long time on this, this third one here because I think it's right up in front of us. Now, the old Olympic Games, back when they were in ancient Greece, they had, they had one race that was rather unique. It was a race that wasn't who could get from one point to the next point the fastest. 
It was who could go from one point to the other without letting the flame on your torch go out. They called this lambradromia. It's the idea of taking the lamp down the road. And, and so today we see that in, in the ceremony, don't we? As they take one torch to the next. And I would say that's a picture of the commitment that we need right now. That we want to run all the way, that we want to finish the course, and we don't want the flame of our torches to burn out. We want the torch to stay lit. It's a picture of our passion for Christ and His church. So don't let, don't let that torch grow dim. The adversary would love to take advantage of a transitional time and begin to take that flame down in your torch. Don't let him do it. Stay committed. Well, let's get just a little closer in on the picture and let's use the word unity. Because if we're going to have that kind of commitment, we're going to need to be unified together. This last week in our staff meeting, uh, Brad Canalejo read a passage out of Ephesians that I, that I thought was just right on for where we are. And I'm sure that's why he read it, but, but he's, he, uh, he shared from Ephesians 4, and I'd like to read it with you, read it to you as well. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And look at where our unity comes from. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's our unity. That's our unity in our past that has got us to where we are today. That's the unity in Christ that will keep us together and allow us... To move to the vision that he has for us in 2017, but also in the years that are ahead. So again, there are some things right in front of us that we need to do. Things in the 90 days that I've already mentioned. Part of that is we are going to be reintroduced to the community. And I think part of that will happen on Easter weekend. And so let us all be determined in our unity together. May we have a commitment this year to Christ, to His church, and even to each other. And we're going to need it because integrating ministries, getting to know other people, that's not easy work. But if our higher value is unity, our higher value is a commitment to the grand redemptive theme of Scripture working itself out through our church family, we will say it's worth it. It's worth my time. It's worth my energy. It's worth hearing other people's ideas and seeing new people coming together. And as I think about the ministry that the Lord has entrusted with us, it is humbling. But I also know that He is with us, that He is going to achieve through us what He desires. In fact, this is part of what He prayed for in John chapter 17. And I don't know about you, but I, but I would love to be an answer. I would love to be a part of the answer to the prayer that Christ prayed in John 17. Let me read these words in closing.
Because as Jesus was finishing his earthly ministry, he was praying for his disciples. He was praying for them. They were now going to be the ones on mission. They were the ones with the ministry of reconciliation. But as he prayed for them, do you know who else he prayed for? He prayed for those who would believe their message generation after generation, which gets to us today. In his prayer, he said to the Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be a part of your work on this earth. And God, as we see throughout the, the, uh, the, the centuries, throughout the generations, you have gathered your people together. You have commissioned them to be part of your redemptive work. And now, right now, today, we are the ones holding the torch. And God, we pray for the future of our church. We pray for the legacy that will, that will be created in the coming years. And God, we would, we would ask that all of the glory would go to you. We would pray that when people encounter us, that they indeed would encounter the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that the words of, of the vision that we believe you have given to us will be seen in the coming days and weeks and months and years. God, we thank you for filling us with your spirit, for giving us the tools that we need to live for you and to establish yet again a ministry that will do your work of reconciliation in this part of the world. So, God, we thank you for each other, and we echo the words of your prayer from John 17 as we pray for unity among our church family and pray, Lord, that this world will see our unity and believe in the message of the gospel. May they trust in you, and may we simply be a part of what you are doing in your grand redemptive plan. We thank you for the time to worship you today. We pray that you'll continue to keep these thoughts on our mind. Give us the ability to stay committed and passionate in our daily walk with you and with one another. We thank you for the offering that's about to be received. We pray that you will use it to further your work among us and in this community. For we pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen.